0: There's a meme going around. Um, It's uh, like most memes. It's a mixture of fact and humor. What's the difference between a conspiracy theory and the truth? Six months. I've spent a lot of my career inside of those six months. And at times, it is a really ugly place. I'll just say I can understand the uh, struggle of Hester Prime from The Scarlet Letter. Uh, Not a good place to be. But navigating that place is a very important task. It is um, it's a choice, a very important choice. Do you want to be truthful and enlightening or do you want to be popular? Today's guest has proven his willingness to be enlightening, despite what it does for his popularity among the people who refuse to choose truth. His career has been marked by bold moves and even bolder arguments. He's a science and technology editor for The Economist. Uh, he advanced the possibilities of science in journalism. He's a best-selling author. He has covered topics like diseases, energy, genomes, reproduction, nature versus nurture. He wrote a book entitled The Evolution of Everything. How new ideas emerge. Uh, I haven't gotten to his trophy case yet, which contains all kinds of honors and awards and formal titles sounding Like there's something out of Harry Potter. I I think he was in the House of Lords. His latest book, Viral, The Search for the Origin of COVID-19, has cemented his status as a truthful outsider. The book, which co-authored by a scientist, Alina Chan, reads like a political science fiction, like a mystery novel full of social commentary and unbelievable stories. It dawns on you occasionally while you're reading it, this isn't fiction, this is truth. The name of the book is Viral, and its author is Matt Ridley. I find this hard to believe, especially as we're talking about this subject, but abortion is the leading cause of death in the U.S. and around the world as well. Roe vs. Wade, 62 million babies have been aborted, uh, aborted in the U.S. since Roe v. Wade. Nearly one in four pregnancies end in abortion. There is a ministry that I just became aware of. It's the Ministry of Preborn, and it is partnering with Blaze Media to help rescue 10,000 babies this year. We can help. Now, here, here. What here's what Preborn is? They're the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. They're the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the U.S. And what they discovered is that if you let a woman see a baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, you bring the chances that she'll choose life for her baby up to a staggering eighty percent more. Preborn partners um, with clinics. At the, in the highest abortion rate cities and regions, and their passion is saving babies. Their passion is also helping women get through this and helping them come to Christ. Over the past 15 years, they've counseled over 340,000 women considering abortion. More than 169,000 babies have been saved, 51,000 women have surrendered their lives to Christ. Will you help us save 10,000 babies this year? I know. Look at the calendar. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Glenn. Now, through a match, your gift will be doubled, saving twice as many babies' lives. Do it now. welcome thank you for having me on the show you bet you bet um i I think we're going to agree on a lot and i want to set this up that some things are speculation and we should point that out as we get there um and make sure we know the difference between fact and speculation and fiction um because you do that very well in in your book yeah, that's what we're trying to do in virals. We're, we're trying
1: to to tease out what we know mm-hmm. and not what we might know. Um, there's quite an important distinction there because there's a lot of speculation about where this virus came from. It's a really important question. We've got to get it right. And actually, we can find out an awful lot more than we thought we could uh, a year ago. So it's, it's worth
0: digging into what we know, I, but I, not getting carried away. Right. And i Answer the question first on why is it important that we find out how this happened, where it came from? Millions are dead.
1: It's caused by a virus. That virus came from a bat. We don't know how it came from a bat. When SARS broke out, we did know how quite quickly. We, we, we had an answer quite quickly. Normally, we can find who patient zero was, where mm-hmm. he got it from, uh, and so on. The fact that we don't know nearly two years, exactly two years into a pandemic that has killed millions and is still killing is pretty shocking. And we need to find out because if we don't, then the next pandemic will take us by surprise again. We we need to be able to prevent the next
0: pandemic. Were you surprised that you found villains in this story? Um, I think we were, both Alina Chan and I were shocked
1: that we found the some, some people in the West and in China who were simply not prepared to reveal what they already knew. And, and it took us a while to work out that they already
0: knew more than they were letting correct. on. Correct. And what I find, um, and we'll get into those people here in a little while, but I find the the willingness to cover the tracks, the willingness to not say astounding um, because I really think at the beginning, if people would have just said, look, guys, this happened and I know this and this and this, I think people would have been more forgiving. Mm-hmm. And I've I've wondered, has their silence caused more death? Did they did they keep things from researchers? Did they keep things from the pharmaceutical companies that could have helped move things faster? Well, there's no doubt that in the early
1: weeks of the pandemic, in in early January 2020, uh, there was a reluctance on the part of the Chinese authorities to admit that human transmission was occurring. That was a real problem. Mm -hmm. There was a reluctance to um, admit that there was a uh, a problem getting out of control. Uh, um, there was a reluctance to share the genome of the virus, which they had uh, early in January. But they they were they finally released it to to the rest of the world on the twelfth of January. Uh, they could have done that at least a week earlier. Now, all of these could have made an enormous difference to nipping this pandemic in the bud. So, uh, a lot of the cover up of uh, the of, of A lot of the effort that went into making sure that um, this was not a big story, uh, you know, and it was under control, so-called, actually, I think, ended up making
0: it worse. Yeah. Okay. so walk us through. um, uh, Walk us through the the origins of this book, because I think it's.
1: Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, the, the, the origin of the book is that I uh, started out thinking this was almost certainly going to be a uh, market food-based uh, virus origin. Which we believed for a long time. Which we all believed, just like SARS. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I knew that it was likely to be from a bat originally because that's where SARS-like viruses had come from. Uh, I wrote an article about Uh, this for the Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, Then I came across a couple of papers, uh, one of which said that this virus was surprisingly well adapted to human cells, unlike SARS in its early months. And that's your co-author. And that was by my (laughs) co-author. Right. And I got in touch with her, and uh, she turned out to be an extraordinarily uh, intelligent person who was thinking very hard about this and had suddenly had time on her hands because the lab was closed
0: where mm-hmm. she worked uh, and was was beginning to dig into this story. Okay, so so um, t- uh, tell me what that means when you say easily adaptable to humans. Okay. Why does that stick out? Well, uh, a, a virus that's going to jump from
1: one species to another has got to evolve and change in order to be good at infecting the new species. You know, It's not gonna be a good fit straight away. And to do that, it's gonna change its genome. Now we saw SARS-1 do that, In the early months of that pandemic, it changed its genome very rapidly. This virus did not do that. It changed surprisingly slowly. And when tested against human cells uh, or cells from other species, it turned out to be actually very good at infecting human cells. Right. Now, one possible explanation for that was that it had already been in human cells for a number Mm -hmm. of of months or years in a laboratory. Uh, And so is that
0: is it is it common? For something that has not been in a laboratory or uh, or humans to transmit like like it was is that no it's unusual okay. for an animal but virus. not to
1: to be really good at spreading okay. uh, from human to human not unheard of uh, for the first time unusual at, at the first shot it's okay. it's unu- we, we don't know enough to know quite how unusual it is but okay. we
0: do know it's unusual okay um, uh, let's go into um, the spread of it is unusual it adapts to humans um, quickly Um, let's go into a kind of a dicey topic as we go into it do you believe it's man-made no
1: in the sense that this is clearly a natural virus it's got close cousins in bats but it might be it might have features that have been altered by human beings. We can't rule that out, and the more evidence that's come to light, uh, the more possible that looks. But let's be clear, we don't know for sure what happened. We think it's still possible that it was a natural event. We started out thinking that was a very likely possibility. We've come to think that it's a much less likely possibility, and we think this was probably a, a laboratory accident or right. a, uh, a
0: research-related event, if, that, if that's what it was. I think that's the most logical thing. And I, when I say, is it man-made, I want to separate. Because some people, when they hear man-made, they think bioweapon and Right. I just don't think this was a bioweapon. Right. It could be, but is there any evidence for that? We have found no evidence that it was a bioweapon.
1: Uh, we certainly know it wasn't made from scratch. You know, it, it, it is a natural right. virus, right. but it might have been engineered. There's there's a couple of pieces of quite strong evidence that it, it might be one of the many viruses that we know they were manipulating in the laboratory um, in order to understand them better. Uh, so the motivation for this research that was going on in Wuhan, much more than anywhere else in the world, by the way, but the motivation for this research was to predict and prevent the next pandemic. Okay, so it's not, it's not about
0: trying to cause a, a Correct. pandemic, it's that's about why trying I, to prevent one. That's why I say if those involved would have come out, if Fauci would have come out and said, look. We were doing gain of function research because we believe that stopping this, finding these things and stopping them and having, uh, you know, the antidote is 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 much better than just being surprised by something. He would have had more sympathy because I don't think they they weren't doing it for a bioweapon. Uh, uh, I
1: I agree with you. Um, It's not. Of course, we can't completely rule out that there weren't. Uh, bioweapon researchers interested in this, but we found no evidence of that. We think it's much more likely that they were doing what it says on the tin, in other words, trying to understand these viruses so that they could predict and prevent the next pandemic. And one way to do that was to get them into the laboratory, test their ability to infect human cells. And to do that, you needed to manipulate their genes because some of these viruses simply couldn't uh, infect humans. And so you needed to swap bits in and out. They were making chimera hybrid viruses. Um, Now, is that a risky thing to have been doing with viruses that can cause pandemics? I think it probably is. And that may be true whether or not this one actually resulted from such an accident
0: or whether it came about as a result of a natural event. Let's be clear on the bioweapon. I think you're really clear in the book, and it's important to me that we separate, again, fact from fiction, and it's not worth, um, people will hear it's a bio. there's a possibility it's a bioweapon, and they'll concentrate on that. That's not the important thing at this point. The important thing is where did it come from? How did it start? Then you, once you have that information, you'll know the rest, right? right. but it's easy to make it into a conspiracy theory which is then it dismisses the whole chain of events well early on a lot of virologists in the west
1: said we can rule out a bioweapon an engineered virus uh, and any other lab-based scenario now that's where we come in and say Hang on a minute. There's a big difference there mm-hmm. between an engineered bioweapon, which I agree we can probably rule out, mm-hmm. and… It's any, a pretty bad one, if and, it is. And, <laughs> well, exactly. And you wouldn't do it in Wuhan mm-hmm. if that's… You yeah. Know, you, you would you would go and do it in a, a secret location somewhere in a desert yeah. uh, if you were trying to test a bioweapon. Mm-hmm. Um, or, indeed, if you were trying to test a, a novel vaccine, which is another possibility people have raised. But… Um, that ruling that out does not rule out that a natural virus might have been in a sample in a laboratory that was being studied and by accident one of the researchers picked it up either in the lab or when they were collecting it in 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 a a a bat cave in in the wild Um, and so uh the the idea that all lab-based scenarios were ruled out early in the pandemic, and that anything like that was a conspiracy theory, I'm afraid is, is just not borne out by the evidence. Um, those are still very much possibilities.
0: Did you see the documentary from the Chinese government that played on national TV in November uh, over in China of them collecting the bat samples hundreds of miles away, exactly the kind of bats and the samples that you would need? I mean, just that alone opens the possibility of someone getting it there in the cave and then it growing out of control. I mean, there are so many different ways that this could have happened. Well, for more than 10 years, scientists in China were
1: uh, sampling bats in caves uh, in southern China in order to try and find uh, SARS-like viruses. The people, the, the the most active research group doing this was from Wuhan. Mm-hmm. The site they were doing it in is a long way from Wuhan. Mm-hmm. The sites are uh, over a thousand miles from Wuhan, so it's a very long way away. It's mm-hmm. not like it's next door. The The bats that they sampled near Wuhan do not have these viruses in them generally. Uh, There's been one or two uh, SARS-like viruses found, but very, very few, and certainly none of these kind of viruses. So it's almost certainly the case that a virus made its way from somewhere in southern Yunnan or northern Laos or somewhere like that to the city of Wuhan. OK, and started the pandemic. The question is, how did it make that long journey? Mm-hmm. The only people we know who went to bat caves <laughs> in southern Yunnan and then went straight to, to Wuhan were the scientists. Nobody else has been doing that. So uh, the we do have to take seriously the possibility that uh, when they were in those bat caves, they picked up a virus. Now, the second question is, were they wearing sufficient protective gear every time they went into Mm -hmm. these caves? And the answer is no. I mean, they've, as you said, shown films of themselves. They've uh, given accounts of the work uh, in which, yes, they do try and wear protective gear, but quite often it's too hot or or they uh, take their gloves off or take their goggles off. You know, so uh, we now know that's probably too risky a thing to be doing.
0: Uh, the, the whole Wuhan um, lab seems a little sketchy to be doing things at this level there. Well, the most active
1: bat coronavirus research program in the world was in the city of Wuhan. The biggest collection of bat coronaviruses in the world was in Wuhan. The database database. Of those samples 22,000 samples of which 15,000 were from bats and the rest mostly from rodents is in Wuhan That went offline, and they still won't share it with us now that seems to us to be uh, simply unpardonable because if, as we have been assured by uh, uh, a scientist in the West who says he knows what's in that sample, that it's irrelevant, there's nothing of any relevance there. Then why shut it down? Then why why take it offline? Why not show us what's in that, that thing and say, look, here, there's nothing relevant in this, in this uh, um, database? But it went offline on the 12th of September 2019, which is well before... The first cases were announced probably before we think the first cases occurred so it's 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 a bit odd that it did that and the excuse for taking it offline is that oh people
0: are trying to hack it well not before the pandemic they weren't if you've tried purchasing a firearm or better yet ammunition in the last year there has been i don't know what you might call an overwhelming demand um and a shortage and this means that people who are responsible, who are, care about protecting their families and their Second, right, Second Amendment rights, uh, can't can't do it. Uh, the people who are are not just purchasing a firearm and ammunition. The demand for ballistic body armor has never been higher as well. Like owning a firearm, owning ballistic body armor is the next step to ensuring your Second Amendment rights yourself and your family are protected. I know this sounds really crazy. Uh, I unfortunately had to buy body armor for me and then eventually my children when they were about this big almost 15 years ago, uh, 20 years ago. It's You don't want to even think about this world. Buying body armor back then, it was bulky. It was really expensive, but I want to talk to you about AR 500 armor and the importance of protecting yourself and your family. I wanted to remind you that body armor is covered under your second amendment rights. And the folks over at AR 500 armor make buying body armor easy, approachable and affordable. In fact, AR 500 armor.com. You can buy it online, have it shipped right to your house. AR 500 armor has multiple packages built for citizens just like you who are just, looking for varying levels of protection. They make the shopping process simple and approachable, and their team is always willing to help answer any questions you might have. Best of all, this November, they're doing their Black Friday sales all month long. The sales are going up to 55% off and give everybody the opportunity to buy quality armor at an affordable price. The best time to prepare was yesterday. Second best time is right now. AR500Armor.com slash Beck. Use the code Beck at checkout. Additional 25% off anything site-wide. What does your research show the first um, patients were? Because there's there's reports that um, uh, researchers from the lab got sick, went with the symptoms uh, not known to be... COVID-19 at that time, they went early in the fall or even late summer. What does your research show? Um, The official Chinese position was that
1: the first case was on the 1st of December. They later revised that to the 8th of December when working with the World Health Organization. But documents leaked to the South China Morning Post showed uh, that they definitely thought there was a case on the 17th of November. Those are the first sort of three dates we know about. Mm -hmm. But U.S. intelligence sources, as you say, have alleged that three workers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology were ill in November and that they had symptoms, including so-called ground glass opacities in the lungs that um, uh, are consistent with uh, COVID-19. Now, we haven't been able to verify that independently, so we can't confirm that. Any idea uh, Any but, well, idea thing, that, that you think that that is reliable well, or not? The one thing that's odd here is that there is no decent information on the professions and activities of the first cases coming out of China. So when the SARS epidemic happened, they quickly discovered that the first cases were often food handlers. They were chefs and other people who were handling food. And that enabled them to uh, pin down the fact that civet cats were infected and were infecting people in restaurants and, and other mm-hmm. um, food handling places. So, so clearly finding out who the people picking up this virus to start with were would be useful information. Now, the joint study between the Chinese authorities and the World Health Organization was not shown any raw data
0: about these first cases, citing patient how, confidentiality. Wait, how, that doesn't make sense. How could you possibly try to track something if you don't know anything about the person other than they're sick? Well, the one thing, of course,
1: that they did emphasize in the early weeks of the uh, pandemic was that a lot of the early cases had connections to one particular market, the Huanan seafood market. And then in May 2020, very quietly, the head of the Chinese Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Gao Fu, said, uh, actually, we think that's a red herring. Uh, about a third of the cases had no connection with that market, and we've tested all the uh, sa- animals in that market, uh, and they were negative. And although we found the virus in er- so called environmental samples in the market, i.e., you know, countertops, sewage, things like that, mm-hmm. we think they're human. Uh, they're cases of the human virus, they're not a particular different animal version of the virus. So uh, the market was pretty well exonerated. By the Chinese authorities uh, a year and a half ago, um, uh, and yet that was the only hypothesis that the Chinese authorities had had put forward as
0: to where where it might have started so what's the most likely scenario? How did this happen?
1: well, Alina Chan and I are reluctant to speculate. We try and stick to what we do know. Okay. And what we do know is that sometime in the fall of 2019, some people got infected in Wuhan. There's no evidence that it came from elsewhere. No, you know, the Chinese authorities kept trying to say that it might have come in from uh, some other country on mm-hmm. frozen food. Well, if so, the place where the food was getting slaughtered and frozen would have picked up this virus first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also other cities where the food Mm -hmm. went to you know so um, sometime in the fall of 2019 people got infected a very strong possibility is that those first cases were people who were working in the laboratory which we know they were doing Mm -hmm. on SARS like coronaviruses and doing uh, uh, experiments and the fact that they were very slow to release information uh, about the experiments they'd been doing For example, they said of the bat virus that's most closely related to uh, the virus causing the pandemic, they said, oh, we've just sequenced it and uh, found that it's similar. Well, how come the labels on the sequence say 2018? Oh, yeah, right. Okay, we sequenced it in 2018. Sorry, we forgot to mention that. You know, so this is the kind, and by the way, we changed the name, uh, but we didn't say we changed the name. And so it took, it took me, um, several weeks to figure out, uh, you know, they said we'd previously found this virus, this bat like virus that's very similar. Um, uh, so I immediately went to say, okay, where, where did you find it? When? You know, and I looked through the literature, I couldn't mm-hmm. find any mention of its name. And it was two months later that they admitted that they had changed the name. Now, you know, this is not helpful.
0: And at, at that, that was. That so doesn't, that doesn't necessarily make it coordinated, planned cover up. Well, I think what you have to remember is that in those early first few months,
1: nobody expected this to go global. We thought we were reading about a little local problem in China, like SARS, which was, apart from you know the fact that there were cases in Canada and elsewhere, mm-hmm. but it was a relatively short-lived epidemic. So I think in those early months, uh, the Chinese authorities thought they could get away with being slightly economical with the facts about this, not telling us as much as they wanted to. And there was actually, we think, some evidence that they wanted to keep a hold of some of this information so that they could uh, patent and invent the tests uh, themselves and get off, uh, get a, a lead on that. Uh, because some of the information was shared with um what you might call crony
0: firms that are well-connected mm-hmm. with the Chinese regime. Uh, that didn't—that doesn't—I mean, they were, they were welding people in their own homes. They were coming in and welding doors shut. And, I mean, it was pretty draconian. Uh, I mean, beforehand, when you were watching just how they were dealing with it in Wuhan— I don't think this is a movie pandemic. If I'm writing a movie script, I'm not picking COVID. I mean, it's killed a lot of people, but it is not the one that's going to wipe out humanity. You know what I mean? Correct, um, yeah. And, and yet, that, that was almost the impression we were getting there uh, in early January when you were starting to see them, the way they were treating this, it was terrifying. It was. And, uh, but I, I vividly remember
1: the 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 feeling, wow, that's pretty extreme. What they're doing, they must be quite frightened. Um, but I rather doubt that it'll uh, come over here and cause a mm. major global pandemic. We'll we'll know and we, You know, I I had a lot of faith in the fact that genomics has advanced so far since uh, SARS that you know we'll be able to detect and test and prevent the spread of this thing relatively easily once it gets going. I was wrong about that. Uh, I've been wrong about a lot of things in the mm. pandemic, and that that was one of them. But
0: uh, but you but didn't you you wrote um, a while back about cities and how crowded we are on on cities and well,
1: it's certainly true that humankind is uh, ripe for something like this. Um, we are living at very high densities in cities. We are travelling a lot. Uh, An ambitious virus that spreads easily should be able to uh, exploit that. But on the whole, it needs to stay mild if it's going to do that, like all the colds that we catch. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's going to kill you very quickly, like Ebola, it generally struggles to, to 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 develop a whole epidemic because Um, the host dies because people get too sick they stop meeting people they die you know so so it doesn't spread so i was fairly sanguine that if a pandemic did start it would either be mild or it would peter out pretty quickly Um, i've sort of half proved right on that because this 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 virus horrible though it is uh, it doesn't have a particularly high death rate. One of one of its crucial features that enables it to be so threatening uh, is that pre-symptomatic individuals can spread it. So people who are not yet sick and therefore still going around their daily business uh, are likely to be spreading
0: it. Is this going to be like the flu of 1918, be with us forever, just forever changing? Or is there an end to this?
1: Well, I'm no... Epidemiologist, so I don't necessarily have the answer to that, but I think there is every chance that it will become endemic in the human species. There are four other coronaviruses that are already endemic in the human species. They cause the common cold. I mean, they they are one of the causes of the common cold. The rhinoviruses and adenoviruses are, are also causes of the common cold. But the four coronaviruses that cause common cold, one of them called OC43, Looks like it arrived in our species late in the 19th century from cattle. Um, It might have been, although the evidence for this is is very uncertain. We discuss it in the book. It might have been the cause of a a really nasty pandemic in 1889, 1890, uh, which started in Russia and spread around the entire world using railways and killed a lot of people and killed probably a million people at least, which was a lot in in those days. Um, So... Uh, And then came back in a couple of waves and then gradually settled down. And now, you and I've probably had it. Uh, It doesn't tend to kill people. It's become mild. I'm pretty sure that's what this one will do. It'll turn into a version of the common cold. Um, uh, But uh, not without doing horrible damage, not just physical damage to people, but uh, social and economic damage too.
0: So why is it that we keep hearing about the um, booster shots because it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. It's, you're killing off the easy ones and the harder ones are... Uh, um, if, if you say that we've evolved these other old viruses... Well,
1: I th- 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 there is a tendency for not all but some viruses to start out virulent and then evolve into mild cases, correct. particularly... Uh, ones that are transmitted by respiratory means. Um, uh, And I suspect that is happening with this. Whether or not using vaccines uh, helps or hinders that process is a difficult question, and I don't think uh, biology has good answers to that yet. But it would be wrong not to try and use vaccines, I think, because they do undoubtedly save lives on a huge scale. Uh, they're, They're doing so today. So I think it's right to try and do something about this. I would agree with you. And I don't think that will prevent the virus becoming milder if that's what it's going to do anyway.
0: Um, You, uh, in the book, expose crimes committed by China.
1: Well, you say that, but uh, I I don't think we would quite use that term because we don't really know... Uh, well no let me put it another way the research that was going on that might have led to the origin of this pandemic um, most of it was not secret most of it was approved by the chinese authorities Mm -hmm. funded by the chinese government funded to some extent by the u.s government too through uh, uh, programs that funneled uh, money to that and was approved by authorities who thought it was the right thing to be doing. Mm -hmm. There were some virologists who were saying, I don't think this is wise. I think we should be preparing for pandemics without going and looking for dangerous viruses in the wild, bringing them into laboratories and manipulating their genes uh, and growing them in human cells. Because if we do that, we might start a pandemic. So people were advising against this work But that doesn't make it a crime in the sense of
0: being against the law. Um, The uh, United States had the same argument. And uh, under Barack Obama, it was illegal. And then under Trump, it was legal again. Um, And this goes to the whole thing of gain of function. And Fauci forever has been a fan of let's go out, hunt these things down. First of all, can you tell me how you hunt down virus? Who these virus hunters are and how you hunt them down? Yeah, Yeah. well, um, what you do is uh, you go
1: to uh, bat colonies, horseshoe bats. There's one particular genus of bats that you've got to focus on if you're interested in SARS and SARS-like viruses. And all this starts from the SARS epidemic. Back in 2003, the SARS epidemic, they eventually realized it was in horseshoe bats. So they start sampling horseshoe bat colonies all around uh southern china now horseshoe bats live in uh caves in large colonies they don't tend to live in the roofs of buildings for example mm-hmm. so you go to remote caves you find these very large colonies very dense colonies of these bats where they're spreading these viruses among themselves you um uh, trap some of the bats in nets uh, you swab their nose and their anus uh, you spread a sheet on the floor and collect their droppings And you take these samples in test tubes, put them in liquid nitrogen at minus 80 degrees and take them back to Wuhan to study them. That's essentially what was what was going on on a massive scale. I mean, tens of thousands of bats being sampled in this way. They also took some live bats back to the laboratory. Again, we had denials of that for many months. It eventually became clear that, uh, yes, they had kept some live bats for experiments in Wuhan. Um, So... uh, so so that's what virus hunting involves and when you get those samples back in the laboratory you defrost them and you then test them for the presence of genes that are characteristic of SARS like coronaviruses okay and uh, if you find them you then try to grow a live virus out of one of these uh, samples and uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology achieved this about Five years ago, for the first time, with a virus called WIV1, uh, it's not easy to, to actually grow a live virus. You know, you can say, look, there's definitely coronaviruses in this sample, but they're, uh, you know, they're not in a state where they can infect cells because their genomes are broken up. They haven't enjoyed the journey, you know, in the liquid nitrogen or right. something <laughs> like that. But uh, they did manage to start what they call isolating, and this in this um, context, the word
0: isolate means to grow new copies of a live virus. And then you put them in humanized animals. Can you explain humanized animals? Well, first of all, you put them in human cells. And one of the breakthroughs achieved
1: in North Carolina was to to create a kind of tissue in the laboratory that is based on human lungs. It's called human airway epithelial cell culture. So that's a sort of Petri dish with a bit of effectively uh, like the lining of a human lung in it. But then, as you say, humanized mice, humanized animals, and what a humanized mouse is, is a mouse in which you have either added the human ACE2 gene to its genome, or you've replaced the mouse ACE2 gene with a human ACE2. Uh, Now, the ACE2 is the receptor on our cells that the virus uses to get into our cells. It's the lock which it unlocks with its spike key, as it were. Uh, So... These mice are then identical to other mice, except that with respect to the ACE2 gene, this one gene, they are like human beings and not like mice. And by doing that, you've then got what you'd call an experimental model for testing whether this virus can infect a human being. You test it in the mouse. Now, you can see what's happening here is Mm -hmm. that if you succeed and the mouse catches it and dies, then this virus is getting trained on human Mm -hmm. genes, on human receptors. And some of the experiments, we only found this out very recently, but some of the experiments uh, that were done uh, did see increases in the infectivity of these viruses on human cells of up to 10,000 times. They got got much better at uh, infecting human cells. So um, the the, the risk, one of the risks here is that simply by using that experimental technique, you're giving the virus a crash course in how to be infective in human beings. Now, I was unaware this kind of thing was going on. I've covered genomics and molecular Mm -hmm. biology Uh, medicine uh, as a reporter and as a writer and author of books for for many years Uh, and I have to say I was pretty gobsmacked by how close to the edge some of these experiments have been Above board. I mean, if you knew where to look, you know, the, the, these yeah, experiments were, yeah. are described in the scientific Correct. journals. You know, they're not being secretive about this. And not just in China, but in the United States mm-hmm. and in Europe, too. Those
0: um, humanized mice came from the United States. That's right. All those separate lines of them were also developed in Beijing. Okay. So um, uh, this is the thing that we were arguing about and gain of function is what... Um, Fauci is saying, I didn't do it. Uh, However, it appears as though he just changed the meaning of gain of function. Was gain of function being done and funded by the NIH? Well, this is a
1: very difficult question to answer. It's a very simple question. It ought to be a very easy question to answer. But the definition of exactly what gain of function is has been uh, changed and uh, has been is a little gray okay so uh if you it, it why, there was a moratorium on gain of function as mm-hmm. you said between 2014 and 2017 mm-hmm. but not if you were already doing the experiments and not and it didn't apply to animal viruses that could not infect human beings right but does it apply to animal viruses that are just in the process of working out how to infect human Mm -hmm. beings do you see what i mean Mm -hmm. that's that's Mm -hmm. where the sort of the Mm -hmm. the 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 the, the, um ambiguity comes in um now look i'm from the uk i'm not here to uh join a fight between Rand paul and tony fauci on this um uh we there was a mechanism for trying to decide whether something broke uh, broke this rule or not. But one of the things
0: that's kind I, I'm of, not even I'm not even concerned if he broke the rule or not. I'm tired of the word games. Were they trying to, was this kind of stuff going on, um, because it was legal except for those periods, but highly controversial, you know? Um, People act as though, oh, no, we've done that. No, that's very controversial among scientists. Well, the reason this phrase gain of function
1: entered the language in 2014 was because there was a big row about this. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, You know, half the scientists said we shouldn't be doing this work. Let's have a moratorium on it. And Mm -hmm. the other half said, no, no, we've got to do this. Otherwise, we can't find out uh, the risks of viruses. And uh, so, you know, it's not as if all scientists think this is fine and the rest of the world thinks right. it's bad. Right. Um, people like Richard Ebright and others have been arguing for years that these experiments shouldn't be happening uh, and are too risky. Um, and I think there is no doubt, whether you want to call it gain of function or call it something else, that viruses have been made more capable of infecting human beings and made more virulent in human beings in experimental situations in the laboratory and was it happening in wuhan and this kind of thing was definitely happening in wuhan in fact this was one of the leading centers for this for for sars like coronaviruses it was the leading center uh, in the world for this and by the way it's quite important here to to describe what level of biosecurity laboratory where it was being done. Right. Because you know the pictures you see where they're dressed in a sort of inflated space suit mm-hmm. with a, with air pumped into it. Yeah. That's um, not this. That's biosecurity level 4. Right. Uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology is the only biosecurity level 4 lab in China, uh, but it's so only years, it, But it's only it, it, they do have 4 there. It's a uh, it's a relatively new laboratory. But that's not where these experiments I'm talking about were being done. These were being done on the old Wuhan Institute of Virology campus at biosecurity level two and three. Quite a lot of the experiments on bat-like coronaviruses, which they didn't think were very good at infecting human beings, but they were putting them in humanised mice and things like that, were done at biosecurity level two and three. Right. Now Now, three is quite... Uh, secure because you're working in sealed cabinets and the sort of gloves built into Mm -hmm. the cabinets that you reach into. But two is basically just goggles and gloves. Um, Now, if a virus with the infectivity of SARS-CoV-2 was in a sample in a biosecurity level two lab, then it's not guaranteed that the researchers using that lab and the people cleaning it in the evening would catch it, but it's jolly likely.
0: All right. So tell me the um, EcoHealth Alliance. How, is, how are they involved? The EcoHealth Alliance is a New York-based foundation
1: which came out of wildlife research but repurposed itself about 10 years ago as a, uh, a, a funder of um, uh, wildlife surveillance and sampling
0: for virus threats. So they're going out and they're looking for those threats that then could or may not be taken into a lab for gain of function. And they figured out that there's a lot of money suddenly
1: available for this. In the Mm. wake of SARS and Ebola, suddenly there's there's, uh, significant sums of money available for this. So they put themselves in a position where they are the contractor funded by the U.S. government or the subcontractor. who distributes the money to overseas work on this. Mm -hmm. They're the intermediary between the U.S. government and overseas uh, uh, research teams. And they collaborate closely with it themselves, and their people go on these expeditions with the Wuhan Institute of Virology people and so on. And uh, by 2019, the EcoHealth Alliance is handling some $17 million a year, significant quantities of money here, most of which comes from uh, the Overseas Development Administration, uh, and the Pentagon, um, for, uh, some of the Department of Defense funding. So they're, they're a conduit for, conduit for money, but they also put their names on the research papers, um, they uh, collaborate, they go into the labs, and they talk about and uh, um, uh, make claims about the research that's being done. Uh, You know, so they say we are very proud of the fact that we found hundreds of viruses, that we've done experiments with them in the laboratory that we've sequenced their genomes that we've altered their genomes that we've made hybrids between these viruses and, and they're on and they, record they, 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 use, of- they use we you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah meaning yeah. the wuhan institute of virology and uh, other partners in the u.s uh, and you know they're, they're also tweeting about having great karaoke parties with uh chums in the wuhan institute of virology so you know they're very close to um uh, the people doing the experiments they 're part of the team,
0: and part of the team is also Dr. Xi, who they 're very close with right
1: that 's right so Dr. X J Lee and Dr. Peter dazak who 's head of the eco Health Alliance, are uh, good friends and close collaborators on this
0: work and how does how do the, these two people implicate at all Dr. fauci in any way well um
1: uh, Dr. Fauci is funding some of the work of the EcoHealth Alliance. There are uh, there is an email trail between uh, Peter Daszak and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Tony Fauci discussing um, uh, this kind of work, including and this has only come out in recent days, uh, an exchange w- not with Fauci directly but with the National Institutes of Health, in which the NIH says, well. Doesn't that sound like gain-of-function? <laughs> and EcoHealth Alliance says, not if you describe it this way. And NIH said, oh, I see. You're right, so we'll describe it that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, there's right. a very cozy relationship here right. to make sure that um, the, 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 the fund funds do flow, uh, uh, but they don't
0: necessarily uh, uh, break the rules. They might bend them just a bit. What is 7896 Project? Well, this is a fascinating little wrinkle that
1: uh, came to light um, during uh, the research we were doing for this book. When they sequenced the genome of the bat virus most closely related to um, SARS-CoV-2, some of the uh, pieces of the sequence had this number on them, 7896 and a very diligent, brilliant Spanish technology consultant called Francisco de Ribera uh, started digging into where this number had come from. And I, I won't go into all the details, but he basically eventually worked out that there was a bunch of eight viruses very closely related to the pandemic virus that had been collected from the same mine shaft as this other one that they had sequenced one of which was called 7896, and that had never been published. And he asked Peter Dazak, he said, can you explain why this number 7896 crops up in this one other virus and in the sequence of the one closely related? Uh, and he was he was simply blocked on Twitter for asking that question. So that gives you a sort of hint of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and eventually he said, look, I think there's eight viruses that they collected from this mineshaft, In 2015, not in 2013. And I think we should see what's in their genomes. They might be relevant. They might be useful. And um, uh, it was six months later that in a uh, seminar, the Wuhan Institute of Virology head, Shi Zhengli, um, did in passing show a slide that admitted, yes, they do have these Mm. eight viruses. And yes, they are from the Mojiang mine, like the other one. Um, uh, So this was a clue that people like Francisco Ribera were on the right track in terms of finding out stuff about what these scientists had been up to that they were not admitting to themselves. And I should say that in researching this book, we came to rely on people like Francisco Ribera, people like uh, a wonderful Indian called The Seeker, who was helpful in this story as well, um, and others who are open-source analysts... They're amateurs who are digging into websites that are not secret websites, they're just very hard to find, mm-hmm. and piecing together information in ingenious ways. These people were more useful to us and to the world in finding out what went on than the mainstream media, WHO. Than the WHO, than the scientific establishment, and even than the official intelligence agencies. Um, so they are the heroes wait, wait, of this wait. book. Why? Because the intelligence agencies tend to depend upon human intelligence, you know, having a spy in the right lab mm-hmm. or something yes. like that. Whereas these guys are just saying somewhere in China there will be a thesis, a paper, a grant application, a document, a database, which actually tells us what's been going on here. And they put probably haven't scrubbed all of them and if we get hold of a few logins and we just keep looking we might find them um now it's it's grotesque that we have to rely on this i mean it's it's, also kind of beautiful it's also kind of beautiful you're Mm -hmm. right but if 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 this was happening in i don't know belgium or kenya or somewhere we would just go to the government and say look please can we have a, a drains up Uh, you know, transparent look at everything you know that might help us track down the origin of this virus. Instead of which, we're confronted with a regime which keeps getting praised for its transparency by the World Health Organization, but which actually simply has to have the information dragged out of it by these amateur people. Um, And that's why we felt it important to write a book to try and put together everything these guys were finding out and stuff we were finding out and And, you know, some, I I don't want to make the impression that all journalists and all scientists have been hopeless. Some have been great. Um, But piecing together the information and working out what was going on in Wuhan in the months up to this pandemic is very important. It might be a red herring. It might all have started with somebody buying a um, civet cat to, to eat for his lunch in a market. But but like you don't think that at this point do well, you well we lean towards the view that no it's likely to have come out of a laboratory and people say well come on we've never had a pandemic from a laboratory that's probably not true actually there was a 1977 flu epidemic that almost certainly began with a with a vaccine that was leaked from a laboratory it mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't a very severe one but uh, and uh, laboratory leaks happen all the time i mean they are quite common Uh, with lots of different viruses. They've happened with smallpox, with foot and mouth disease, and with SARS. I mean, SARS leaked from laboratories at least four times, twice in Beijing, once in Taiwan, Mm. once in Singapore. This virus is probably leaking from laboratories fairly regularly, but we wouldn't know because there's so much background infection that you wouldn't be able to tell. Um, So uh, you cannot rely on, oh, but laboratories
0: are quite secure. People don't have leaks in them. Can you describe the WHO's visit to the laboratory what made it strange? <laughs>
1: um, the WHO went to Wuhan in January 2021. Um, the team that went was approved by uh, the uh, Chinese government. Right. There was only one American representative on it. That was Peter Dazak, the close
0: friend of the Wuhan Institute of Virology and close collaborator. And that's honestly, I, I, well, you are not an American, so you you know remember there was this old show in the seventies called Columbo, and he was I remember a, Columbo, yeah. Okay, and the murderer was always the one that was helping him try to figure it all out. <laughs> it kind of seems like that's the role of the WHO with Peter Daszak. <laughs> um, well. <laughs> um uh, Peter Dazak argued
1: that uh, you need me on this team because I know these guys and I know this field of mm-hmm. research and I'd be ideal for mm-hmm. you but he then but he he had orchestrated a letter to the Lancet Journal although he had uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, not... Revealed how he'd orchestrated it by 28 scientists saying uh, that we it cannot possibly be a lab leak. So it's unbelievable. So he wasn't open-minded. Yeah. And, you know he, he yeah. would be the first to admit that. You know mm-hmm. he was absolutely convinced that it couldn't be a, a lab leak, um, or had reason to make sure right. that people. Yeah, and they go to the Wuhan Institute of Virology during their visit in Wuhan. They spend three hours there. They talk to the people in the lab, and. Uh, they, uh, when asked afterwards, did you ask to see the coronavirus database, the 22,000 samples that, uh, that they had taken offline in September? Uh, Peter Dazak said uh, in a seminar um, after the visit, no, we didn't ask to see them because uh, I know what's in it and it's of no relevance. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Why should we take your word for it? Right. And why should you take their word for it? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's not good enough in a situation where millions have died.
0: Is the WHO... Should we be a part of the WHO? <laughs> Is it, does it play a, a fair role at all? Is it something we can trust? Well,
1: I don't think the WHO has behaved very well in this pandemic. Um, uh, it... Uh, it allowed itself to uh, effectively be a mouthpiece for the Chinese government. It refused to take any notice of the alarm bells that were rung by the Taiwanese mm-hmm. government because Taiwan is not allowed to be a member of the WHO at China's request. Um, uh, it uh, the, the head of the WHO was very much Xi Jinping's candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it... it 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 has undoubtedly been much less open-minded and fair than it should have been that said it doesn't have power to force a member country to divulge information but in the SARS epidemic its director-general then Gro Harlem Brundtland the former uh, prime minister of Norway she was pretty tough on the Chinese and she said it is not acceptable that you took so long to tell us right. about this outbreak. Uh, you should have been more forthcoming, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, after the visit to Wuhan, the WHO team gave a press conference in which they said it probably came on frozen food. It's very unlikely to come from a laboratory. Mm-hmm. The reaction in the West was so uh, incredulous. Disp- incredulous. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's the word to this. You know, not just observers and media commentators, but. Western government said, that doesn't sound good enough. Come on. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Tedros, the director general, did then row back and say, "Okay, sorry, we didn't mean to imply we're not going to look into the lab leak. We would like to look into a lab leak. Um, We'll get another team to do that. Took them many months. They've only now recently announced the team. It's still got lots of people on it who are very chummy Mm -hmm. with uh, Chinese laboratories. So it's not... Filling us with confidence. And just think, you know, the fact that it took them six months to negotiate terms of entry for this inquiry, and then they went there for only two weeks, and then they gave this press conference, which was a farce. Um, that means that the rest of the world didn't get to investigate. You know, the WHO, everyone was pinning their hopes on, you know, the British government. I keep asking them about this, and they keep saying, well, we've just got to help the WHO do this right. Well, if the WHO doesn't do its job, then. Not only Somebody does has to. Th-
0: then, yeah, well, then then they are preventing others from doing Correct. their job. So I want to go back to something you said earlier. You talked about um, that the Pentagon was involved, and I want you to tell the story of Peter Dazek and the fourteen million dollar request from the uh, from him from him to the Pentagon and DARPA. Can you explain? Yeah. Well, this was a story that emerged
1: just as we were putting the finishing touches to the book. And we were able to squeeze in a mention to it. It's a little shocking. It came out through these open source analysts again, a group called Drastic who who, who developed it. Um, It was a proposal to DARPA, the um, uh, Pentagon uh, Research Agency, uh, from the EcoHealth Alliance. Um, The proposal was called DeFuse, and it was asking for $14 million dollars to uh, uh, do work on viruses in China, bat sars like coronaviruses. It went in in 2018. It was refused, so they didn't get the money. But it, gave, it gives a, a, a glimpse of the kind of things A, they were already doing, and B, they were, were wanting to do. It had some wacky ideas in it, like developing an app that soldiers could have on their mobiles so that when they were fighting a war... They could tell whether they were in an area with dangerous viruses or not. Well, you know, that's not going to be very helpful, right. is it? Um, <laughs> and it Hang
0: would put your gun down. Let's look at the app. <laughs> they,
1: they were talking about blowing, uh, misting bat caves with vaccines to try and cure the bats of these viruses. Well, that's a pretty long shot that that's going to uh, be effective. So there was, some, there was some really far-fetched stuff in there. But what was particularly interesting was it did confirm that bats are kept in the laboratory at the Wuhan Institute of Virology which mm-hmm. had been denied up until that point. And it also confirmed that they had plans to put something called a furin cleavage site into a bat SARS-like coronavirus. Explain what a f- now, furin well, cleavage this is, site is. This, is. this is something that had been hotly denied up until that point. A furin cleavage site is a small chunk of genetic text, 12 letters long that is found in this virus and no other closely related virus. Right. So no other SARS-like virus has been found with this chunk of text in it. Now that chunk of text makes the virus very infectious. It's sort of the biggest reason we're having a pandemic. Without that chunk of text the virus would not be able to infect so many cells in our body, would not be so quick to do so. And where does that chunk of text come from? Well where does that chunk of text come from? That's the question. A lot of people looked at that and said, that looks odd. That looks like someone put it there deliberately. And other scientists said, don't be so ridiculous. It could have arisen naturally. Other coronaviruses, not bat SARS-like ones, but other ones do have it. MERS has it, for example. And we were prepared to be completely sort of uh, ambiguous about this. We still are. We don't know for sure whether it arose naturally or whether it came in. But there are... There have been 11 experiments around the world to put furin cleavage sites into viruses.
0: Sounds um, like a bad idea.
1: And one of them involved the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It was a MERS like virus. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, yeah, and it, Peter- it, it, most of these experiments were safe because they were just doing it with the protein, not the whole virus, mm-hmm. so it's not infectious, you know, etc But some of them were using
0: live viruses. Particularly ones, one that involved a pig And um, Peter Desik's group, that, that DARPA said, no, we don't want the,
1: this. The, the, the DARPA, DARPA said, we don't want to fund this. Yeah. And the, why would you do that? Why would you put a, a furin cleavage site into a virus? The answer is to make it easier to study in the laboratory because then you can grow the virus in the... If you find a virus in the wild, in a bat and it's not very good at infecting human cells, putting a fear in cleavage site will juice it up a bit so that it can infect human cells, and Why then you can study you do it. that. Because you want to study it. What you want to do is get the Nobel Prize for catching a virus that you in made. the act of starting a pandemic and stopping <laughs> it. I think that's one of the motivations. Oh, sorry, I don't mean to say that was sort of deliberately what they were doing, but if if you if you get into this field, it's very frustrating not to be able to grow these viruses and study them. So you want to make it just that little bit easier and you want to check whether they can infect human beings. And half the time you can't tell because the virus can't infect human beings at all. So you need to make it just a little bit easier and then you can say, okay, this one's dangerous, that one's not. That's what they're trying to do. But as I can't remember who said this first, but one scientist said this recently. That's a bit like looking for a gas
0: leak with a lighted match. This here in America has become all about politics. And I'm shocked at how Americans have reacted um, to these lockdowns. Uh, It's just bizarre. And I think at the beginning we were afraid. We didn't know. And I think it was reasonable to do the things that we did at the beginning. Now, there's just too many weird things that are going on with the government, you know, saying mandatory max, uh, uh, you know, vaccines, etc. When we were on the road to 90% uh, vaccinations here in America. Um, and it has it has become all about. Um, Politics and anyone who, like I don't question the vaccine. Vaccine's great, good, yep. good for us. Me too. Um, but I do think you have a right to say mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want that. Um, but if you have any anything that disagrees, like maybe it was in a lab, they will shut you down. So hard, which I think makes this um, the vaccine even harder for some people to understand or want because they're like, wait a minute, I, this is unusual activity. Does that make sense to you? Yes, I think I, I see where you're going.
1: I mean, I, I agree with you that I, I'm pro-vaccine. I want to persuade people to have the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I, I worry that forcing them to have the vaccine backfires in some cases. Especially um, in America. Almost certainly in America, especially. But muddled up in this is... As you say, there were some ridiculous conspiracy theories out there at the start, that it yeah. was all got up by Bill Gates, that it, right. was, uh, that it was a, a, a hoax, um, uh, or even that it was, uh, you know, there was an early idea that it was something to do with the HIV virus or something like that, that, and that was, that, that was nonsense. Yeah. So those are nutty conspiracy theories. The possibility that this virus came from a accident in a laboratory was not and never should have been labeled a conspiracy theory. But it was explicitly labeled as such by Peter Dazak, by other uh, scientists, Fauci. Um, uh, by Dr. Fauci. And that seems to me wrong, because I think you need to distinguish between um, possibilities that you might think are unlikely, mm-hmm. but can't be ruled out and we haven't yet got good enough evidence for and possibilities that are completely ridiculous and uh you know uh, uh, akin to saying the moon landings were faked or or whatever because otherwise if you throw them all in together then you're only encouraging the uh conspiracy theorists to say well if you called that a conspiracy theory and you're now saying it's not
0: then what about my mad idea exactly right and and you also have for instance one of the reasons why this was so scary at the beginning with china is because they were suppressing information they were taking scientists and they were disappearing and you're like wait a minute wait a minute why well all he said was i think this started you know two weeks beforehand why is he now missing you know? Right. Well, the, the reprimands handed out, the fierce, you know,
1: um, uh, tickings off that the scientists who first raised the alarm got were pretty awful. You know, they were they were, they were, they Do were we nasty. Do we know um, where they are Who the, you know, well, at this point? Well, you know, the, the most famous of them, the young ophthalmologist who shared it on social media with mm-hmm. some friends and said, we've got SARS in this. Uh, they thought it was SARS at the time. And we've got SARS in our hospital. Please be careful. That was all he said. He got the most tremendous uh uh punishments uh and then he actually died of covid within a month i mean in early february um uh so we do know what happened to him so there have been there have been some some very uh unpleasant um uh reactions to people trying to be open and helpful with information in China, and that is not something we should condone. I mean, a friend of mine said, "Look, what do you expect? They're a communist regime; they do this kind of thing." I'm sorry, why is that supposed to reassure me? <laughs> right,
0: right, especially one that is as powerful and yeah, and we're all going traveling, and you yeah. know, yeah, um, the uh, the CDC here has been instrumental in cracking down on on people and and questions. Is that the way it is in the rest of the world? Well, um,
1: it's varied in different countries, but on the whole, uh, most governments until May of 2021 would not take seriously the possibility of a laboratory leak and used words like conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. and so on. The UK government wouldn't give it any time. Uh, the, The Australians called for a open inquiry but th- that doesn't mean their government was thinking it was a, a laboratory leak uh, or possibly could have been something changed in may of this year there was an open letter in science organized by my uh, co-author um, there was a very good uh, there were a couple of other very good essays and there was a just enough accumulation of evidence mm-hmm. for people to say hang on a minute have we prematurely ruled this out uh, and were we uh, should we be Taking it more seriously. Well, if only that had happened a year earlier, because the trail is getting colder all the time. Yeah, you know, and we we the the, the more time goes by, the harder it's going to be to to pin down. That said, I, I constantly meet people who say we're never going to find out. Why do you even bother pursuing this? And I say, well, I'm not sure. There are people who know a lot more. Most of them are in China, but not all. And at some point they're going to realize they need to to to
0: to speak more freely i don't think we knew about the spanish flu for 40 years but we found out yes it's much harder of course in those days because
1: nobody really knew where it started you couldn't do tests etc i mean one of the bizarre things about this one of course is that we're doing it with our eyes wide open we've Mm -hmm. got we've got genomic tests we know we know unbelievable details about how this virus works and things like that but it hasn't been, meant that we've been able to stop it. I was surprised by that. I thought that information
0: that we now have at our fingertips would enable us to prevent a pandemic. You said in uh, Genome, the autobiography of a species, um, you wrote, a true scientist is bored by knowledge. It is the assault <laughs> on ignorance that motivates him, the mysteries that previous discoveries have revealed. I stand by that.
1: I think, you know, we teach science to kids as if it's a catalogue of facts. It's It's not. It's the search for new mysteries. (laughs) It is. And this is a great mystery. This is a really... I mean, I think it's the most important
0: mystery of, of, of this century so far. How many of the science... I think science has done itself a grave disservice. Medicine is doing itself a grave disservice now by shutting people up. You know, you go to your doctor, and he says, look, I... I I don't feel comfortable saying this or you know you can't talk about this shutting these people down is is very frightening well, I'm not here
1: to throw the whole of science
0: out. No, no, no. With I, the but I think there are other scientists that yeah. are great.
1: Well, uh, the, way, the distinction I make is that science as a philosophy is still fantastic. I have, you know, it's the right to, to try and find out about the world by experiment and hypothesis testing is the right way to go. Yeah. You know, it's an incredible it's achievement. Great. I think it's humankind's greatest achievement. The enlightenment. Um, it's a wonderful thing. But science as an institution has got to where… It tends to be dominated by um, somewhat inward-looking committees of the great and the good who uh, are behaving more and more like a priesthood. It's always had a bit of a tendency like that. um, Say, no, no, don't you unwashed get involved in this. Uh, Leave it to us. We're the experts. We know. And we're going to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Well, I'm sorry. I don't think it should be that. I want to see science treated much more as a sort of democratic and open process and scientists to be much more humble and to say look actually we don't know where this came from it's important we find out anyone who wants to help track this down please join us but don't expect us to waste our time on uh nutty conspiracy theories but let's uh be
0: open-minded about everything that is plausible Uh, the uh, scientists are always they're always right until they're wrong until they're proven until something else is discovered um, I have to well, ask, they, you, they disagree with each other. That's how they keep themselves honest. Yes, Whew, yes. Yeah. Um, OK, well, I have to ask you this and then, then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. But what is capitalism by your definition or better yet? What is free market anti-capitalism? <laughs> yeah, I once called myself a free market
1: anti-capitalist. <laughs> and uh, what I mean by that is that uh, I'm a huge fan of commerce, enterprise, free freedom, you know, the mm-hmm. people going out and uh, taking risks and uh, innovating right, yes. and coming up with solutions that help the world. I don't think that makes me a capitalist in the sense of the term, you know, the word coined by Marx, because a capitalist is someone who accumulates capital. <laughs> and I think free markets are the opposite of that. What they do is they see somebody who's got a monopoly wealth position as a result of some kind of uh, advance right. and, they, and they say hmm i'll have to go at that and they come along and they use competition to to um to redistribute what's going on so i think true free enterprise is surprisingly anti-capitalist it produces equality not inequality it produces um uh, a, a, a sort of I love net, network of 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 collaboration, rather than a um, an accumulation of bars of gold in a bank. If you see what I mean. Yeah,
0: I mean capitalists <laughs> now are Google, Facebook, all these big corporations, Exxon, whatever, and they force other. They keep buying things up to force other people out, which squashes the little guy who goes. I have a better
1: idea. Absolutely. And the more regulation that government imposes, often the more barriers to entry for the little guy. And actually, big big business loves it. it. It's got a crony relationship with government mm-hmm. that, that I think. So I, I, you know, I would like to regulate in such a way as to make life harder for big businesses and easier for small businesses. Matt, I really
0: enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Glenn, thank you so much. I've enjoyed mm-hmm. the conversation.